Well, it was July 9th, 1960, and there was a middle-aged resident in Buffalo, New York. His name is James Honeycutt, and he took a 17-year-old girl and, uh, who was the son of a co-worker and the 7-year-old son of a co-worker, what they assumed would be a peaceful uh, boat ride on the Niagara River. Um, and uh, the mother of the children was somewhat uncomfortable with the children going on this ride. So she said, okay, at least make them wear a safety vest, a life vest, so which, which they did. And as he had done so many times before, Mr. Honeycutt, he pulled out his 12-foot aluminum skiff powered by a seven and a half horsepower motor. And they launched it five miles up from the Niagara Falls and the Grand Island Dock in Beaver Island area. And the children put on the life preservers, and they headed out to the water, and they putted along. And then for reasons that continue to be unknown today, Mr. Honeycutt shut off his engine on the Niagara River five miles up. Maybe he wanted to enjoy the peace and quiet. Uh, Maybe he felt like he wanted to chat with the children without the interruptions of the motor Uh, Or maybe he just didn't want to expend valuable fuel where Mother Nature would take them for free. And nevertheless, they talked and they drifted for about an hour. And eventually they floated under the North Grand Island Bridge. And this is the marker where locals have frequently called it the point of no return. And it was some time after they had passed under the bridge that James Honeycutt decided to turn his engine back on, to turn the motor back on and turn around. And he wanted to head for home. But he soon discovered that his seven and a half horsepower motor was no match for the mighty Niagara River after you crossed that line. The boat continued to creep backward and no matter how much he put it in full throttle to go the opposite direction, he kept being pulled and pulled back and back. And things went from bad to worse when eventually the propeller was ripped off of the boat completely and they just started to drift. They just started to strip. They're getting closer and closer to the falls. And Honeycutt did what he could. He grabbed two paddles and tried to try to paddle his way out of it. But he was just getting dragged back and back and back. And then finally, the waters became so turbulent that the boat hit a rock that's in the center. And it overturned. It capsized. And all three were out on the river. Uh, now, the teenage girl in the situation, she... Uh, started to swim as hard as she could, and the torment of the water was carrying her as she wrestled through. She was getting closer and closer to the falls, but she found herself not terribly far from a little island that sits between the American and the Canadian Falls. And at that time, there was a driver from New Jersey who was with his family, and they were overlooking this area, and they saw her, and it was like divine. And the guy was like, yells to her, and he says, you are fighting for your life. You are fighting for your life. Swim to the island. Swim to the island. And that guy was near that island. And at the risk of his own life, he attached his feet somehow into the bridge uh, or, and his hands into the bridge. And he like put, his, uh, put it something, some part of his body down into the water. And she tried once and she missed him. She tried twice. And, she, and finally, on the third time, uh, she was able to get a hold of his thumb. And they were able to, and another person helped. And they were to pull her to safety. Now, on the other hand... 
the guy, the, 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 the little boy, he had long passed over the precipice. But experts think that since he only weighed 46 pounds, that the force of the falls shot him further than the rocks. And he completely missed the rocks and he went underwater. And then when he reemerged uh, to the surface, thanks to his life preserver, he was spotted by an employee from Maid of the Mist, which is like this tour thing that's down there. And they pulled him to safety uh, uh, with uh, very little, with, with only a, a concussion. And that guy, his name is Roger Woodward. He's now in his mid-60s. And he is the only person in human history to unintentionally go over Niagara Falls and survive. And we should be grateful that this happened to him, that he actually was able to live and survive and that he is alive today. Now, James Honeycutt didn't have such luck. James Honeycutt went over the edge and his body was found a half mile down the road or down the the river uh, three days later. And James Honeycutt died. He perished because he drifted too long. In this story... His story serves as a parable. There is a danger in drifting. There is a danger when we have the information and we don't know what to do with it or we don't respond to it. The warnings were posted. The signs were posted. The entire history of uh, him in boating, he understood, but he didn't pay attention to the warning signs and he drifted. Let me ask you a personal question. If you were drifting... In your life, in some area of your life, how would you know? How would you know if you had gone too far? How would you know if you were drifting in such a way that could potentially destroy your life? What internal and external mechanisms do you have that allow you to receive the kind of information you need to make the decisions you need to make so that you don't drift and you don't lose your life? That you don't lose what you've been building. That you don't destroy your marriage. You don't destroy your relationship with your family. You don't destroy your finances. Now today, we're going to be continuing in a series called Walking with Jesus. And we've been doing this series all month. And what is walking with Jesus? Well, we need to learn to be in relationship with Jesus, communicate with Jesus, and have Jesus communicate to us. And when we do that, we are perfectly positioned to live the life that we should be living and living the best version of ourselves. And a crucial element to living a good life and walking with Jesus is to recognize that it's not just me and Jesus, that Jesus has created the church, the community of believers to help us, to give us the feedback and the information we need to become who we were made to be. So uh, we're going to talk about that today, and I've called today's talk, uh, what did I call my today? Uh, yeah. We've called today's talk, Wait for the Feedback. <laughs> I guess we need to pray right now and invite God's presence. Wait for the feedback. What kind of feedback does God want to deliver to you and to me through others? Let's invite God's presence. I'm going to pray. God, we ask your Holy Spirit to come. As we pray before you're already here, but we ask that you would increase our awareness of your presence. God, I ask you to begin to move in people's hearts and people's minds. Uh, God, I ask you would help us and help us to understand the kinds of feedback we need to hear right now. God, each of us has a question or a few questions that we're asking in God, and you want to help direct us. So, God, I ask that you would help me to speak as I should. 
show me uh, where to uh, just say things that I wasn't planning on saying and be with us today. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be taking a look at Galatians 6, chapter 6. Uh, you can follow along on your phone or in a real Bible if you have one that's printed. Or you can follow along on the screen. It doesn't matter to me. But uh, we're going to take a look at it in Galatians 6, uh, verses 1 and 2. And if you were here a few weeks ago, you'll remember that I actually talked on this set of verses. Uh, but I'm going to talk about them again in a different way. So in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, we read this. Brothers and sisters... If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And what we see here is that we're supposed to help people. We're supposed to restore them if they're caught in a sin. Let me take a minute and define sin for you. Sin is not just a bunch of rules that if you, if you break them, you're a really bad person. Sin is much more broad and much more complicated than that. Sin. Let me give you three things to know about sin. The first thing to know about sin is this. Sin is running your hand against the grain of the universe. Now, if you have a board or a piece of wood, and you run your hand against the grain, what's going to happen? You're going to get splinters. Sin is the same way. The universe is set up in such a way that there's an order to things. And when you and I break that order... There's problems in our lives. We see this. We don't have to look that hard to see this. We live in a world that has addictions. We live in a world that has greed and power and jealousy and envy. And these things, when we allow these things to develop in our lives and we act on them, we're running our hand against the grain of the universe and we expect not to get splinters, you will get splinters. So sin is, in fact, when we kind of decide to break the rules that we see in the universe. Second thing you might need and what might be helpful to know about sin is that sin is a good thing turned into an ultimate thing. That should you lose that ultimate thing, life wouldn't be worth living anymore. So sometimes we're involved in really good things. Like, hey, money is a really good thing. You should earn some money. You should get a job and have a job. And you should save some of that money. And you should spend some of that money. And you should be nice to your parents with some of that money. Whatever it is, money is a good thing. But when you make money an ultimate thing, what happens? You see jealousy and greed and strife come out. And what happens when you lose that money? Say the stock market takes a turn or you lose your job and you no longer have the money that you thought you had. Then your life is crushed. Sin is oftentimes really good stuff that we experience in the world. But when you turn it into an ultimate thing, it gets out of proportion and it affects us. Uh, We see this uh, from uh, money to relationships to love to sex to everything. It can affect everything. And the third thing I want you to see about sin is that sin keeps us from becoming the best version of ourselves. We were made for more. You were made to be better than you are now. And you see other people in your life and you're like, man, they could be so much better. It's really easy to see the problems in other people's lives, but it's difficult to see the problems in our own life. And I'm going to say more about that later. But sin is something. It's the thing that holds us back from becoming the best version of ourselves, whatever it is. And so Paul is here in these verses. He's saying, look, sin, it's there. It's causing problems for us. It's causing problems for you and for me. And Paul is saying that the people of God are supposed to come alongside 
other people of God and do their best to tell them the truth. Look, if your brother or sister is experiencing kind of sin, you need to go to them and you need to restore them gently. You need to do it in such a way that they will receive what you're saying. And the reason we do this is because Jesus, the power of Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, the death and resurrection, gives us access to him to understand by his spirit what we should tell other people. And when we receive words of knowledge and effort and like things that we need to hear from Christ and we bring that to other people, we are modeling what Jesus wants, which is being the church. And so... Uh, Paul is saying that we need to restore each other and tell each other the truth so that we can help each other avoid disaster. And we're called to carry each other's burdens and we're called to carry each other's burdens even if the other person doesn't even realize that they have a burden. Now, if you'd like to hear more about this, you can turn into our podcast. Uh, A few weeks ago, I actually talked about these verses and what our duty is and responsibility is for helping others or or confronting people that need to be like confronted or restoring someone gently. I would today, I want to switch gears and talk about the other side of this and the other side of this. What we see here in the community of God is, is that, you know, uh, Paul is saying that we need to uh, go to people and we need to correct them, which also means that if we are in the people of God, we need to be open to hear that correction. We need to be open to receiving feedback. We need to, by his spirit, we need to weigh what people are saying and bringing to us. We need to be positioned to hear from others the way life is set up for the Christian is that you need feedback. I need feedback. And there's, did you know, did you know this? There are certain things that God wants to say to you. He wants to talk to you about certain things in your life, whether it's emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is, certain things in your life. He wants to say to you that he simply will not just say to you in the quietness of your own heart, alone, in your bed, when you're drifting off to sleep, pretending like you're praying. He's going to... Oh, am I the only one? (laughs) Yes, Lord, my prayer life is so strong. Just, Lord, uh, you're just praying about a strategy to make more money. And I'm so tired. Lord, just help me win the lottery. (laughs) Anyway, there's certain things that God's just not going to say to you alone. And he set it up that way. You're not an island. You're not alone. There are certain things that God will only speak to you through community. And what God does is he often uses community to tell us what's on his mind so that we can become the best version of ourselves. Now, in America, we love individualism. Descartes gave rise to Jefferson and John Locke, and we say life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Every individual has the right to pursue it. It's just me and my journey. I'm going to go to the top. I'm a, I'm an, I, 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 it's me. It's what I'm up to. I can't listen to the outside voices. I have to listen to my inside voice. I have to search myself, search inside myself to find the true answer. It's just me and Jesus. I can just sit in my car and listen to podcasts from the latest awesome sermon person. And then I can put on a couple worship songs and that's church. That is just God. And that's, I don't need other people. And what God says and what Paul says uh, through uh, what God says to Paul, to us is that we actually need real people. 
We need to be in relationship with other real people. It doesn't work where we can think we can just be alone. It doesn't work that way. And uh, being true, sometimes we think that being true to ourselves actually leads to our best self. But that's not necessarily true. Sometimes we think that leading, uh, when we're actually being true to ourselves, it actually leads to more selfishness. It leads to more, uh, more just focusing on what uh, works for me. Also, American individualism creates blind spots. Did you know that you have blind spots? Did you know that you can't see everything going on in your life? Did you know that? Well, you do if you didn't. And the thing about blind spots is that you're blind to the spot. You can't see it, right? If you could see it, you'd make the change, right? But the thing is with the blind spot, you're blind to the spot. You can't see what's actually going on. You're blind to it. And what we need and what Paul is saying we need and consistently throughout the Bible is we need others to see our blind spot. We can get so focused on what we're doing right now that we don't see what's going on to the left and the right in our peripheral. And sometimes we think we're going for the win, but really we're losing in a different way. And the only way we can get around those blind spots is community. And it's free. You just show up here. And the people of God who are listening to God's spirit help you see your blind spots. Now, it's possible that you can be blind to any number of things. You can be blind to the fact that even though you're dating a person, it's really an unhealthy relationship. But someone else can see that for you. Ooh, too close to home. <laughs> you think you're the best dad in the world, but actually you're not really treating your spouse all that well and your kids are growing up not liking you. How would you know? You could be blind to that. Um, what else? Um, you might be blind to the actual kind of employee that you are. You may think you're ready for the promotion, but really you're almost about to get fired. Sometimes you're blind. You spend too much time not working and watching, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into it. It seems too specific, you know. Sometimes you are forming a habit in your life and you don't realize that you're actually moving towards an addiction. And you actually need other people to help you see those blind spots. Now, I'm going to hop down here and I, I have, because I have a graphic that I don't have on my notes. Do everyone ever hear... Uh, uh, they're going to hear of Johari window, Johari's window. Like this is really important for you to see. So on the top there, you have known to self and not known to self. And there's known to others. Hold on, wait, if I do this, no other way, wait, if I do this, known to others and not known to others. There's like four categories. If it's known to others and known to self, that is an open area. And if it is not known to self, but known to others, that is a blind area. Everyone has things going on in this area. Everyone has things in this box. If you, don't have th- if you don't think you have things in this box, box, then you've just reinforced our point because it's not known to self, but it's known to others. <laughs> I don't know who I'm arguing with right now, but like, I'm like daring you to argue with me. On. Right, so, um, but, but don't, because I have a bunch of stuff I got to cover. Uh, we're running out of time. So, and, then, um, and then not known to others. But it's known to you. That's like a hidden area. Does anyone have any hidden areas in their life? Raise your hand. Don't do it. Uh, <laughs> and then there's, the, there's, the, there's it's not known to others and it's not known to self. It's an unknown area. Sometimes we don't know what we don't know. 
We don't know what we don't know, but a lot of times there's things that others know that we don't know, that we don't realize. And so with Johari's window, we get, are you, was that about, uh, was that about the illustration? Okay, it's totally not about me jumping up on here. Okay. So anyway, you can, what this means is you are super gifted at seeing everyone else's blind spots. But you, by the very nature of Jahari's window, will always have trouble seeing your own blind spots. Why? Because you're blind to them. You can't see them. And throughout the Bible, this is why God, through the writers of the Bible, consistently speak to us and convey that we need wise counsel that is outside of our own minds. Look at in Proverbs 11. It says, for lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. You need advisors. I need advisors. Uh, for the Proverbs 19, listen to, why, listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. Go get some advice. Follow discipline. Uh, Hebrews 12, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. No, duh. Uh, but painful, I added that. Um, Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Or look at Proverbs 8. It says, listen to my instructions and be wise. Do not disregard it. Over and over again, the Bible tells us that nobody is an island. No one's on their own. You can't figure it out all on your own. And if you think you can, you're wrong. You cannot figure it all out on your own. We need the help of others. It is the way God has designed life to work. You need feedback. You need people to speak to you, tell you the truth, even though you may not agree with them. And that is the nature of good feedback. That is the nature of a good advisor. It is somebody who's willing to tell you the truth, even though it might hurt your feelings a little bit. So if feedback is important, I see two questions we need to ask to get this right. The first one is this, from whom should we solicit feedback? And the second question is, how do we develop openness to feedback? Ooh. Well, let's talk about the first one and, you know, maybe we'll run out of time and you won't have to hear the second one. But the first one, how, from whom should you solicit feedback? Well, let me just say this. First of all, you should not solicit feedback from everybody. Um, you know, um, I think about oftentimes um, when we have a certain agenda and we want a certain outcome, but we recognize that we need to ask for feedback from people, what we'll do is we'll curate who we ask and bring certain people into our lives we know will agree with us. And when we do it on a subconscious level, we don't do it on a conscious level. We don't write it out like, I'm going to be biased today. But we kind of on a subconscious, but we still carry those biases. We go to the right person and we present a certain kind of level of information uh, about what we're going through. And what do you know? We get feedback that really already agrees with our internal biases. Yay! That's not the kind of person you need to solicit feedback from. And you see this all the time. Like you see, you have a circle of friends and of course no one in this room, but other people like what will happen is like, they'll like, they normally come to you for advice, but as soon as they do something, you know, you, you wouldn't approve of somehow they're asking all these people that you've never heard of. And they're like, well, everyone else thinks it's okay. So, 
you know, that happens. So what you want to do is not just solicit feedback from the people you know or subconsciously know will give you the feedback that you want. That's not a wise advisor. That's you just stacking the deck. You're not going to get where you want to go if you stack the deck. You're just fooling yourself. You might get a short-term win, but it might not necessarily be the long-term win that you want. I know that's hard to hear, but you should hear it. Uh, Second thing, um, I wouldn't necessarily encourage you to accept advice from people that don't practice what they preach. So what do I mean by that? There's sometimes you look at people's lives and you go to them and you go, well, you know, you really don't know what you're talking about in this area, but can I have advice in that exact area? And what do you know? They give bad advice. (laughs) Hey, if you don't like how someone's living their life, maybe you shouldn't ask for them, ask them for advice in that area of your life. If you don't like the way someone treats their spouse, maybe you shouldn't go to them for marriage counseling. If you don't like the way they talk to their kid, maybe you shouldn't start like a kid's group with them. Hey, maybe if someone spends their money in a ridiculously uh, bad and undisciplined way, you shouldn't sit down with them and create a a spending budget with them or a savings budget. What you want to do is you want to find advisors who are going to give you advice based on some of their experience. Find people that practice what they preach. Um, Another thing is, uh, I just want you to see who you shouldn't solicit uh, feedback from is... um, Sometimes people just don't see clearly. Um, what I know about people, and you know this as well, what we know about people is that hurt people hurt people. Hurt people tend to hurt people. And oftentimes people who are hurt have been hurt by others. And from those experiences, whether it's a painful experience in your childhood or something you experience as a young adult, sometimes our pain from the past can result in us forming vows and beliefs about the way the world works that just isn't everybody else's experiences. And so what happens is we show up into the world, a person will show up into the world, and they'll see the world through a certain set of lenses, and there'll be a level of distrust or a level of anger. And what that does is it changes and skews what they actually see in your circumstances. And sometimes... We have to become aware of people that just don't see the world correctly. And I know that's very vague, and I know that's very ambiguous and subjective, but it's true. Sometimes you will solicit feedback from people, and you're just like, you know, it's not quite right. There's a little too much anger in there. Oh, man, they want me to punch my ex in the face. Probably not a good idea. Or whatever it is. They will not see the world as it's meant to be seen. And so the last thing I want to say about uh, who not to solicit feedback from, I'm just offering some wisdom here. It's going to be important for you to develop your own rubric, your own set of standards uh, to kind of figure out your, your, your own barometer, if you will, of who you're going to trust and who you're going to invite into your life um, uh, to get and solicit feedback from. So if that's who, uh, if that's kind of describes who we shouldn't get feedback from, who should we get feedback from? Who should we invite into our lives? How should we welcome people that uh, what kind of people should we welcome into our life? Well, solicit feedback from people you trust and people who have integrity. Hey, do I trust this person? It's a great question to ask. Hey, do I have a track record with this person? Do, do the, have I ever been told that, has this person ever told me the truth and it hurt before, but they were right? Hey, that's a good sign. Does this person have integrity? Well, let's define integrity. Integrity is doing what you say you're going to do, when you say you're going to do it, 
and doing it in a manner that it's supposed to be done. If a person has high integrity and a track record of being that way with you and speaking that way with you, maybe that's a good person to rely on for feedback. Uh, I always recommend this, and this is a, a, some of our friends, and we've figured out this thing, little thing. We've developed a personal board of directors. Now, in every company, there's a board of directors that the CEO answers to. This church, uh, I answer to a board of directors. I can be fired so many different ways. Um, but today is not that day. So uh, you have a board of directors that you answer to. And in many ways, it's important to develop a personal board of directors, people that are experts in some area or you have a track record with that you know that you have a warm relationship with, that you can go to them and ask them questions. Hey, I'm struggling with this. Hey, I'm uncertain about this. Hey, what do you think about what I've been doing? Or, hey, I don't know. I feel like everything's going good, but I want to invite you to speak into what you see. And it's not like you organize a board meeting quarterly on an offsite retreat. You just build these people into your life. And when you have these people, like they actually give you the feedback that you need. I want to encourage you, if you haven't figured out a personal board of directors this week, just start thinking about maybe two or three people that you can just generally consistently go to and ask them advice. You don't have to write it out. You don't need to type it up and make a formal thing and say, here's my proposal for you to be in my personal board of directors. It's just very loose, but think about who are the people that I trust and how do I put them in my life in a more regular basis? So, um, yeah, so uh, personal board of directors. So that's two ways of figuring out who you should uh, reach out to. So that answers the first question. Uh, second question, so if I've shared with you who to solicit feedback from, um, how do we develop openness to feedback? How do we do it? Well, honestly, there's no way around the pain here. Um, there's no way around being vulnerable and open. And I think that's the hardest thing about feedback. What if the other person says something I don't like? What if they say something that's just a little too close to home? What if they say something? I've already taken a course of action. I'm all the way down here on step C, but their advice is to go back to step A. What do I have to backtrack when I've already taken steps forward? What do I do about that? What if the truth hurts? Well, I know. I get it. No one wants to get stabbed by someone else. No one wants to feel that pain of like, man, you're messing up. Like we're, we have egos we're, we have in, in the healthiest sense, we have egos and we don't want that to feel that we don't want, we want to resist pain. It's a part of the brain that we just know. I don't want to feel that. I want to uh, whatever, but that's not how life works. And if we choose to welcome feedback and people are willing to tell us the truth, it's going to result in a little bit of pain. And here's what the Bible says about that. In Proverbs 27, it says better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. All I can say is that it is better to get the truth from people in your community, people you trust, people who care about you, people who love you, than to not hear what you need to hear, even though it's painful. So in my mind, the question is, how do we develop habits of being open to feedback, and how do we push through that pain even though it may hurt a little bit? How do I break through that pain barrier to hear what I need to hear? Well, I think it's more um, less emotional and more just commitment. And here's what I think about those commitments. One, start asking for honest feedback regularly. Now, you need to do this. You need to ask for honest feedback Many times, as I said before, we will only solicit 
uh, feedback from certain people and only present them with certain information, data points, so they have no choice but to affirm the opinion we have in ourselves. Don't withhold information, but be in the practice of regularly soliciting feedback from, from people you trust. Once a year is not going to cut it. Two times a year isn't going to cut it, but regularly inviting honest feedback. We see this all the time with dating. You, you want to paint a rosy picture to your girlfriends, and they're looking at you like, well, does he work? I'm like, Well, he's, he's been out of work for two decades, and... He's uh, totally broke, but I think if, you know, I just take care of him, he'll get, he'll get his act together. And, and if I just, um, you know, he doesn't treat his mother and his family very well, but he just had a bad run at everything. And, and you kind of just paint a picture that you want people to see. That's not how it works. We have to get honest feedback and solicit the right people to do that. So um, there's that. Um, uh, second way is become an active listener. Now, some of us can listen all day long, but really we're not listening. We develop the skills as teenagers in our parents' house. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but there's really something about active listening. James, the brother of Jesus, uh, says this. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There is something about really listening to what people have to say. And it's not just allowing the sound to move from their mouth to your ear. There's an active listening, a participatory listening that we can do to uncover the truth that we actually need to hear from people. Um, there's a book called Crucial Conversations. And in Crucial Conversations, is about how to have important conversations with other people. Uh, and it's really more about how, like, how do you like negotiate and stuff like this. But I found something in that book that I think is helpful for anyone that really wants to receive feedback and it's in their active listening section. And it gives you kind of four points for active listening. One is, uh, start by expressing, ask, start by expressing interest in the other person's views, like ask them what they think. Like, don't just wait for them to like kind of stumble through it. It won't do it. Second thing is mirror. Increase safety by respecting, respectfully acknowledging the emotions people appear to be feeling. And so somehow you're kind of just paying attention to their cues, what they're doing. You're trying to see if they're actually telling you the truth or actually they're just offering you a little bit of truth before they actually tell you what they really think. Uh, paraphrase. Uh, in this, you basically, you restate not only what you think you understand, but uh, that it's safe for them to continue to share. And then there's prime. If, if others continue to hold back, you prime. You take your best guess at what they're trying to say. And what I have found in our culture, American culture, we are so nice. We are so nice and we care about what people think. Like, it may not seem this way, but like when I'm talking with you, like and we're at like a restaurant or we're hanging out at my place or we're at a party somewhere. Like, and we're interacting, like, I do care what you think. And I don't just walk up to you and go, blast you and be like, you need to change this area of your life. I don't do that. You don't do that either. And so a lot of times we in this culture, we feel like we need to be invited to tell people the truth. And I think there's layers to that. If we invite feedback from somebody else, they will give us an initial wave of feedback. But if we choose to do active listening, we could probably get a second and a third wave and they can really begin to like tell us what they really think about our situation. And that's where the good stuff comes. 
Like you have to be active and you have to mirror and you have to prime if you really want to get at the heart of what they're trying to tell you if you're soliciting feedback from them. Does that make sense? Okay. Does it, do I need to go back again? Does that make sense? Okay, cool. All right, sweet. Um, last thing, um, and this is a bit of a doozy. Uh, how do you welcome feedback from people that are passive, passive aggressive, or just straight mean? Because I think this is where we fall short. This is why we don't solicit feedback. Sometimes people aren't mature enough to deliver the feedback that we need, but there's still a kernel of truth in there. We see this a lot between spouses, um, and we see this a lot between parents and children. And so how do you actually get the feedback you need, even though it might not be delivered in a constructive way? Like, I know that my mom is trying to tell me something here, but I just really want to fight with her right now. You know, how do you get past that to receive what you need to hear? Well, um, we, I, I, the only thing I can think of, and, and we, we've outlined it here for you, is that you need to learn to guard your heart. And there's a way to do that. Uh, let me give you an illustration. Now, I'm a pastor of this church, and I've been pastor at other church, another church too, and I've been in ministry for a while. Let me just tell you that the people of God are beautiful, and they just love to give you feedback as a pastor. And they love to tell you, and now you're all going to hear about it now. Uh, And they love to give you feedback. And sometimes they come up to you and they go, wow, I actually paid attention to your sermon today. Or wow, like, (laughs) and you're like, wow. Or like, you know what we need to do? We need the lights a little brighter. Hey, we need the lights a little lower. We need more of the Holy Spirit. Hey, we need less of the Holy Spirit. Like all these, they give you all this feedback and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And not, and like someone they just don't know how to deliver things in a way that's necessarily constructive. And there's others of you that are way too constructive and you're way too good at, but not everyone does that. And so I'm in a position to have to receive a lot of feedback. And the thing that I've developed in my own life, and I would encourage you to do the same in your own, is you need to develop levels of hearing. And you need to have a first initial level where you sit there and you go like this and you just listen. And you go, that's awesome. And then you do the act of, so do you mean this or do you mean that? And this and that and the other. And what you're doing is you're differentiating yourself from the information that's coming into your ears from your heart. You're not necessarily taking it in. Now, if I took everything you said directly to my heart, I'd be a mess all the time. Because we're a new church and we're figuring it out. So, like, we have to, like, there has to be levels. And so what you do is, like, someone complains uh, or they have this to say. What you do is you go, okay, you know, I'm going to think about that. And we're going to pray about it. I'm going to talk with the team. Uh, and then you go away and you do that. You say, God, is this something you need me to hear? So, God, is this something you're actually trying to say to me? God, how do I not take this personal? And the things that I do need to take into my heart, I take into my heart. And the things that I don't, I reject. And it's the same for you. People will deliver truth to you, and it won't be the way that you want to hear it. But if you discount all advice, all wise counsel, all truth that you need to hear because it wasn't delivered in the correct way, you're not going to get very far. You have to learn to figure out how you're going to welcome feedback, even though it's not delivered in the best way. Okay? Um, You know... Um, at every point in my life, um, from high school to college, from college to grad school, from working in my first church to leaving the church and working on my doctorate and then starting uh, a career in real estate for a few years, which is really interesting. I felt like I wanted to plant a church, so I picked a career where I could like, learn to run my own business because I thought that would be helpful, to like starting this church. Every moment along that along my journey and along my wife's journey, we've had to solicit feedback. 
had we just gone out and just done it, I don't think we could do what we're doing. I don't think we would have seen God bless our lives the way he has blessed our lives and our ministry and our marriage and our friendships if we weren't open to feedback. We have to become open to feedback and we have to not just be reactive or hope that someone wanders into our life and tells us the truth. We have to solicit feedback and we have to wait for the feedback that God is uh, bringing. We have to wait for it. We have to wait for people to, to bring it to us. We just don't act without it. Like, and I think that's super, super huge, <laughs> super huge, super huge for us if we want to grow in our walk with Jesus. But why? Why would Paul walk us through this? And why does the Bible talk about wise counsel? Well, I think it really comes back to Jesus and what he says in his prayer in John 17. And in that prayer, he lays out a vision for unity. And he says, if we are unified as Jesus followers, if we come together and we are one, the world cannot resist us. Look what it says. It says in John 17, it says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be as one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. And have loved them even as you have loved me. So there's a lot of people out there that don't know what they think or believe about God. But when we come together and we love each other enough to tell each other the truth. And when we love each other enough to receive the truth. That says something to the world. This world is not telling each other the truth. And if they are telling the truth, they're doing it in a way that's very hurtful. What does it look like for a community of Jesus followers to pursue unity by not only telling each other the truth, but receiving the feedback that we need? And when we do this, we become the best version of ourselves. And people go, wow, those people love each other enough to tell the truth. Wow. I don't know what I believe about Jesus. I mean, a resurrection, someone coming back from the dead. I'm not sure what I believe about that. But that person just sat there and took honest feedback from that other person. And it's helping them shape their life. That, that is the mystery and the power of God and what Jesus did through the cross, that he established this way for us to be our best version of ourselves through honest feedback and sharing with each other and constructively helping one another. And this is why we promote this community. And this is why we believe in community groups. We come together and you are forced uh, to interact with people you wouldn't normally interact with. And the result of that is a healthier life. And so I submit that to you today. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, if you want to walk with Jesus in a way that makes sense, go out there and ask a few questions. Ask people for feedback. Ask, how am I doing in this area or that area? And if you do, you will grow as you're supposed to grow. Amen? Why don't we all stand?